Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we're opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life the way it was meant to be and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. We welcome all of our listeners. Glad you could be with us. We are in the midst of kind of a deeper study on Matthew chapter 24. And this is part three of that study. In the first part, we just kind of did an overview of the big picture of Matthew. We talked about what made Jerusalem and the temple so special. Then last time, we just started marching through Matthew 24, looking at the verses, verse by verse, and talking about several things. And we worked our way down to about verse 28. And today, we're going to kind of continue on with verse 29 and go down through another major section here and talk about some things. The key aspect of this is is when Jesus left the temple in verse 2, the disciples were kind of looking at the temple and bragging on it, and Jesus would say that not one stone would remain upon another. And in verse 3, they ask him a question, when will this be, what will be a sign? Uh, we, by looking at Mark's account and by looking at Luke's account, it looks like they were asking just one question. The question is, when's the temple falling down? What, when are we going to know it's going to take place? And so through Matthew 24, Jesus talks about what won't take place. He talks about some false signs, but then he mentions the abomination of desolation, that profound statement from the book of Daniel. And from Luke's account is when you see the armies surrounding the city, then you will know. And so the warning is given. If you're on your housetop, get, leave, go up to the hills. If if you're uh, with child, you better hurry. Hope it's not in winter. Hope it's not on the Sabbath day. Because when, this, when you see the armies surrounding the city, then it's going to be time for you to flee because this is when the destruction is taking place. This is where we've kind of left that off. Verse 28, our last verse we looked at last week, says, where the corpse is, there will be vultures will gather. And just talking about the death and the destruction of the city. Well, immediately after that, we come to the word immediately, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And there's a lot of folks who kind of think that's almost literal, and they get all kind of spooky about things like that. But yeah. uh, Jason, what, what do you think all that means? Well, very important to notice the first two words there, right? Immediately after. It is so important when we read passages like Matthew 24 or the beginning of the revelation of Jesus Christ, where that is framed in Revelation 1 as things which must soon take place. Let's listen to those markers, right? We spent all last Friday talking about why this is not revealing details about the end of the world as we know it, some yet future event, but the terrible destruction of the city of Jerusalem. We know historically it happened in AD 70. And so, yes, this is attention-grabbing language in verse 29, but let's couch it first of all in immediately after, not any time 
far in the future, Jesus certainly had words to use to describe that if he wanted, immediately after the tribulation of those days. And what is helpful also is to realize this is not the first time this sort of language has been used. Absolutely. Isaiah used it in chapter 13 to talk about Babylon. Ezekiel used it in chapter 32 to talk about the Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. The idea that you, basically we use the phrase, you're turning out the lights. Yeah. The sun is darkened. The moon will not give us light. It basically means you just, you just unplugged it. You turned off the lights. We describe even today certain events as earth shattering. Well, this is an earth shattering event. You, you mentioned Isaiah talking about Babylon, Ezekiel talking about Egypt, Joel two and Amos eight use it to describe the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem in the Old Testament. This is not the first time this sort of language has been used. No, and and the idea of a darkened sun, uh, it, it no longer has influence. The moon was used in those times to guide people. Its light is out. And so the influence of Jerusalem was going away. That, that's the idea. This is not talking about Rome. It's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was what's being destroyed here. And so God was pulling the plug on Jerusalem. And so their influence, the center of everything, the temple was going to be destroyed. That's what's taking place immediately after that because many Jews are going to die. Many Jews are going to be captured by Romans. The temple is going to be gone, and they would not have that focus and that center upon their religion as they once did. And that that's kind of what that means. So then we get to 30 and 31. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And again, uh, as we mentioned last week, we have the entire Bible. And when we look at it from the back end going forward, that looks like it's talking about the, the second coming. They didn't have the entire Bible. And as we mentioned last week, there's places in Luke, places in John. They didn't fully understand that he was going, let alone coming back. And so this idea of the coming of the Son of Man on the clouds, that was used again in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah chapter 19, the oracle concerning Egypt, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. So again, that's just another biblical historical expression to talk about the judgment coming upon the the city. And and again, that's something these these Christians who have been very versed in the Old Testament, would have understood, they would appreciate those understanding, that would have helped them. Yeah, I think, too, Daniel 7 is key here. Um, it, it, it is key all over the end of the Gospels and the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, where Daniel saw one like a son of man who goes with the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days, and to him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him. It goes on from there. But if you if you remember that promise, that prophecy, you remember the way that Jesus eventually ascends to the heavens at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, I really think this is Jesus emphasizing even before his death. Listen, 
the absolute worst is going to be unleashed against me in a wide variety of ways in just a a couple of days at this point, right, uh, at, at the end of all of this, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. But what is he saying before all of that happens? The crucifixion is not going to be the end of the Son of Man. The the burial is not going to be the end of the Son of Man. The resurrection from the dead, even his ascension into the heavens, is not going to, to be the end. God has been so patient with these people. Again, read Matthew 21 and Matthew 22, these parables that Jesus gives in the context of the last week of his life, right there in the temple. God sent prophet after prophet. Finally, God sent his own son, and the wrath of God is filled up against the city of Jerusalem it is going to be punished. Why? We've heard it over and over again. Because they refuse to accept the time of their visitation. And it's important when we read difficult passages like this, especially in the Gospels, to balance it with what the other Gospels say. And, and they're not going to tell us different stories. And so sometimes we can read Matthew. We need to read what Mark says or Luke says or John says. And we put that together. It helps us get a clearer picture. So over here in Luke's account of this, Luke chapter 21, verse 27, verse 28. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. But when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads because redemption is drawing near. Well, if that's the second coming, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's going to be too late. The redemption here is the salvation not from sins, but the salvation from the destruction of the Romans. He would say just up above this in Luke 21, verse 21, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in a country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance so all these things which are written may be fulfilled. So the expression, the coming of the Lord in the clouds, again, is just another Old Testament concept that they would have understood to talk about the destruction that God was going to send. Yeah, we recently spent a little bit of time in a sermon in Revelation 18 talking about Babylon and God calling saints and apostles and prophets to rejoice over Babylon for God has given judgment for you against her. I think that is exactly what is being reflected there in that Luke passage, Roger, that you just read. So then we go back to our, our text, Matthew 24. We're walking through the verses here, verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. Now, now again, Coming from where we are, it sounds like the second coming, Jesus coming with all the angels in the sky, the trumpet will blow, everyone will be raised, but we're reading too much into that. 
All he's saying is that the, the gathering of the elect, the elect are going to be saved. The elect are his disciples. What's happening is they have gotten warnings. What's the warnings? Everything Jesus is saying in this chapter. And so the elect or the disciples, they're going to be fleeing. They're going to be saved. And according to history and according to legend, no Christians died during the destruction of Jerusalem. A lot of Jews died, but not the disciples. How come? Because they got the message of God. The trumpet blew in, in, a, in a figurative sense. The message of God was heard, and they understood these things. Immediately now, the next verse, Jesus goes into the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, Jason, earlier in this series, we've talked about this fig tree. Yeah, I, it sure does seem significant that... On the front end of this very week, I mean, you can go back and you can read Matthew 21. We would call that Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He enters the temple. He drives out all who sold and bought in the temple. He he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He leaves Jerusalem, and then Matthew 21, verse 18, in the morning, we would call that Monday, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves, and he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withered at once. Now, it, it goes on in Matthew 21, but from the very beginning of this week, what have the disciples seen? For instance, here, they see Jesus coming to a tree expecting fruit. Now, we understand the Son of God knows exactly what is going on. He's making a point, right? But what he is drawing the attention of these disciples to is, this tree has everything that it needs in order to bear good fruit, and it's not bearing good fruit. Therefore, I am going to make it wither. What he's drawing attention to is about so much more than a literal tree, right? He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. He's talking about the temple itself that he has just cleansed. And now, a couple of days later, what does he do? Out of the blue, he starts talking about a fig tree. And he doesn't just say it. He, verse 32 says, now learn the parable. Yeah. So so they saw the literal example of what Jesus did. So what did they learn from that? Well, Jerusalem has not been bearing fruit. Jerusalem has not been faithful to God. God's going to curse this city, but God's going to allow the city to fall. That's what they would have learned. So the very next verse in Matthew 24, verse 33, so you too, when you see all these things, well, stop there. What things are they seeing? Well, they're, they're seeing from Luke's account that the city is surrounded. They're, they're seeing that all these prophecies, such as the book of Daniel, the desolation, uh, right. the abomination has come about. They're seeing that people are fleeing the city. When you see all these things taking place, recognize that he is near right at the door. Well, now, now does that mean Jesus is right there on earth? No. No, the coming of the Son of Man is, again, an expression to talk about the coming of judgment. That's what's going through all of this. Nothing has changed in this, in this lesson here. 
verse uh, 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Really important thing. It does. I mean, if we're going to put all this into the future and we're going to start reading China in here and Russia and the bombing of Israel and all these things that takes place in our current times, man, this this passage just destroys that. Uh, This is something for those people at that time. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I think what he's driving there is what I said is coming about. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you know, when God says, it is. And the world may fall apart, but God's word is going to be something to count on. Now we get to verse 36. For a lot of people, verse 36 is what's called the transition verse. And they believe from verse 36 onward, he now switches gears and starts talking about the second coming. Um, I, though I don't see that. I don't see it. Fl- it fits in the context of that. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son of man, but the father alone. I think Jason, you and I are on the same page on this concept here. What, what, what's he mean of that day? That is he talking about another day now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it is important for us to, to get out there that good hearted, diligent students of the Bible find this section of Matthew 24 challenging in a variety of ways. But I, I, like you, am inclined to think, okay, he is emphasizing Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but what I'm telling you is absolutely true. Roger, you and I, we don't know if the sun is going to rise tomorrow, but more sure than the rising of the sun are the words that Jesus delivers. I would have a tough time fitting in the next few verses to describe the ultimate second coming yet in the future. I'm not sure how to read these verses if we're talking about the ultimate end of the world. For instance, verse 30, uh, well, let's just start reading in verse 37. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, no problem there. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, we're we're talking about a, a cataclysmic event, obviously, something for which many are unprepared. But but let me, let me throw this in right here, Jason, yeah. real quick. Okay, from what he's saying is, you know, from verse thirty-eight, it's just another day. People are eating, they're marrying. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, no right. one knew it was going to happen, but Noah did. Noah did, and God did. Yeah. And so when we put that into here. No one knows when the Romans are coming, but guess what? The disciples know, and Jesus knows. Verse 40 especially is what I I would have trouble with describing the end of the world. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. I, I know what to do with that if we're describing the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm not sure what to do with that. Roger, I think you and I next Friday are going to maybe explore a little. Some see the rapture, for instance, in this. I, I don't believe there's biblical evidence for that, right? And and using this verse to describe that would, would muddle other sections. Same thing with verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord 
is coming. I know what to do with those if we're describing, okay, there are some in Jerusalem who are prepared for the coming of the Roman Empire and the vast majority are not. I think in our last episode, last discussion, last Friday, you talked about historically what a terrible, terrible stretch of time this was as Rome crucified tens of thousands of people outside of the city of walls. They essentially choked Jerusalem, starved many people literally to death. I mean, we we talked a little bit about the writings of Josephus. If you want just absolutely devastating, heartbreaking descriptions of mothers eating their own children, uh, people choking down shoe leather because they're absolutely starving to death. This was a terrible event, but it was not an event that disciples of Jesus had to be unprepared for. Absolutely. And, and, And so again, it flows with the context that this is talking about Again, the destruction of Jerusalem all through this. And and so the two men in the field, one taken, one being left, that, that's describing someone who got the message and he fled, just like Jesus said. Well, we're going to end this section with verse 42, and we'll, we'll come back and talk about some more of this a little bit next week, Lord willing. But therefore, be on the alert. You do not know which day your Lord is coming. Um, he has told them what's going to happen. But he didn't say, you know, mark your calendar, March 3rd, this is the day is happening. They didn't know when, but they knew it was going to happen because he had said that. And once again, going back to Luke's account in Luke 21 and verse 36, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Again, if we're talking about the second coming, there's no escaping that. Uh, th- this is the, talking about the, the preservation of life of the disciples, and that's exactly what God had in mind there. So, so as we continue onward, we want you to kind of keep studying with us. Get your pencils out, get some note paper, and kind of t- write down some things. And this is uh, some good things for us to learn. We're in a time right now when uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine are at war and Israel's at war and a lot of people are getting real excited. Maybe these are some of the signs we need to get back to what the Bible really says and keep our focus where it should be. Yeah, keep it in its context. And at times that can be challenging, but... As we take the time to slowly, methodically work through passages, look for those time markers, listen carefully in view of everything that God has delivered to us, I think we can get the big idea. And for us, we'll, we'll wrap it all up next Friday. But Roger, I think the, the, the big takeaway for us is, okay, Tough things happen in life, but God knows what he's doing. God is in control. We need to listen, submit ourselves to ultimately follow God, trusting that with him, it is all going to work out. More about that, Lord willing, next Friday. But I appreciate you joining me. We appreciate all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope that it's helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound, and the best is yet to come.